This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. And welcome, everybody. This is another episode of the Mind Sculptors podcast. I am your host, Callahan. And joining me today, uh, I've got three of my favorite Sculpty boys here around the table with me. Uh, joining us all the way up from Canada is Spleen Place. Spleen, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. Good. Uh, also joining us uh, from the great state of Ohio is uh, my good friend Cobblepot. How are you doing today? Doing well. Good to be here. Awesome. Uh, and, of course, from right here in Lincoln, Nebraska, is my good friend Phoenix. Phoenix, how's it going today? Going great. Keeping very busy. You know, Cobble, I got to tell you, somebody who's from Ohio as well, um, it was a very interesting weekend for me for, from a sports perspective because, you know, the Browns <laughs> had their first win in like 20 19, years in the playoff. A, yeah, 19 years since they've been in the playoffs. So Yeah. And uh, then Ohio State just got demolished yeah, <laughs> in the national do? championship game. So it's karma, you know. It, you know what? The Browns got to win. Uh, I'm not a Browns like, you know, I'm not a Browns fan like my dad is, but um, you know, I still root for the home team. So, but uh, yeah, it's been quite quite the weekend uh, for Ohio sports. So, <laughs> uh, but you guys didn't come here for you know me to talk about how happy I am about that. Um, you guys came here to hear us talk about competitive edh and uh before we jump into that i do want to remind you uh to like and subscribe to our videos and also if you want to go down to our patreon uh the link is in the description we've got four different tiers for 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 you um you know we've got different sort of rewards for those we're going to start uploading videos to patreon that are patron exclusives uh here probably starting in February. Um, and as well, uh, is, you know, you don't care about that. Uh, you can just send us a little bit of money there. Uh, but also if you want access to our discord server, that is how you're going to get that access. So today we've got a show lined up for you. This is something that cobble has been wanting to do for quite a while, uh, is we're calling this brewer's choice. And so basically what this is, is uh, we are specifically our brewers this week, which are Morgan, uh, Spleenface, uh, Phoenix, and Cobblepot. Um, they're going to be given a commander pair or just a commander uh, to start with. Uh, and you're able to take any approach you want and uh, see where everybody kind of comes down to, uh, where they overlap, where they agree, uh, and what differences and uh, we kind of all come up with. And uh, just to kind of give you an idea of what goes into building a deck, where those thought processes are, and uh, also to kind of give you some new spicy builds to try out on your own. Uh, so with that being said, uh, since, um, you know, Cobblepot really, this was your brainchild. This was something you were really into. So our, our commanders that we are given uh, for this challenge is uh, one of the new partners from the most recent Commander Legends set, Kodama of the East Tree. 
and that is going to be partnered with Vile Smasher the Fierce. Um, so just kind of here at the top is kind of looking at the overall game plan. What are the differences? Um, you know, what is, uh, Cobble, we'll start with you. What is it that your game plan is, kind of your high-level game plan overall? So Kadama plus Vile Smasher is going to put us into Jund, which means we're not going to have access to blue. So this is going to kind of push us into wanting to play a, a, a more aggressive game because we're not going to be able to play a really reactive game given we don't have a lot of the tools to do that. So um, Jund happens to be very good at being fast and being aggressive. It's got a lot of uh, support for uh, a, a number of different combos, and it's got a lot of support for kind of a, a stormish kind of a plan given uh, that black and red uh, have a lot of access to card draw and tutor support. So um, I, my particular list is, is taking kind of a, a Turbo Nas approach and is incorporating the immense value engine that, that Kadama is to um, kind of round out the, 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 the types of games that you can have with the, the Turbo Nas strategy. So uh, what I mean by that is that if you, you, know, you, you don't happen to open up with the, you know, the exact kind of uh, opener that you want where you're you know, just you know, firing on, on all cylinders and just have a very uh, a quick win, um, spending some, some mana to get Kadama onto the battlefield is, is going to go a, a long way into kind of uh, bridging the gap between uh, not having any gas and, and, and getting there. Uh, Kadama allows you to do uh, a, a bunch of really, really cool things, um, but probably the, the, the most significant or the one that is you know, the most pronounced when you see Kadama come onto the table is just his, his ramping capability. So uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that, I, th I think, in, in a minute where we kind of come down to the important lines. But um, just for my particular list, it's Turbo Nas with uh, some, some, some value on the side to fill in the gaps in case you get disrupted or you, you're, you don't have everything to start your plan from the start. Right. Uh, Phoenix, you also uh, kind of went at it um, in an interesting way. Uh, what's very interesting before I even, you know, kind of go go to you is, uh, you know, I got a chance to look at all these lists before we went on the air. And uh, you all three have very unique and different lists. It's very, very interesting to look at because they 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 have overlap, but these are all very different. So I'm very excited to see this. So Phoenix, for your game plan and your, you know, kind of overall what you're looking to do, what is your list doing? Yeah, so just to speak to some of the similarities that all the lists have, we're definitely all playing Nas, and we're definitely all playing Underworld Breach. But the amount that we're leveraging specifically Nas, Underworld Breach, or maybe some Kodama-specific combos are different between the three decks. And so mine lands somewhere a little bit farther away from Turbo Nas and a little bit closer to somewhere like a farm where it is trying to leverage Underworld Breach to attempt a combo and be really resilient. And so you see that with some of the differences in my deck where I'm not playing quite as many spell-based uh, ramp pieces and a few more uh, actually permanent-based ramp pieces. Yeah. And then just speaking to the color combination, we really all landed somewhere on the either including Praetor's Grasp or Opposition Agent, something to leverage some opponent's cards and kind of the weaknesses of just Jund itself. Yeah. 
one of the things about your deck list that I really like, and we'll get into this more um, when we talk about certain card selection, but I love the fact that you have keen sense in this list. It really makes me, <laughs> it makes me think of, uh, what is it, Four Color Ashmi, really, when you're, when you got that on there um, with the Vile Smasher list. So it's very interesting seeing that in a non-blue deck, uh, but you'll, you'll have your chance to explain that here in a little bit. But, uh, you know, going over to uh, Spleen Face, you took, I, I would say, probably the most unique path. Um, from everybody, <laughs> I think so. I think I have the most uh, the most unique cards out of anyone. Yeah. Um, you do. So you, the, you know, everybody has their overlap. You know, um, you know, Cobblepot doing some of the more shadow bag farm sort of stuff. Uh, Phoenix going all in on farm, and you uh, are playing <laughs> Conspicuous Snoop. Uh, so kind of uh, explain where you're at with that. Yeah, so I was sort of thinking about um, how the Snoop combos work and, like, how the mana can be somewhat awkward. Um, but Kodama actually does, like, a decent amount of legwork in sort of fixing that. Like, you can cast the Recruiter um, and then either just put the Snoop into play if you have it or um, if you have instant speed uh, card draw. Um, and there's some cards that I included specifically to enable that. Um, you can pile it so that you get, uh, if you put, you put the, you cast your recruiter, you put your pile on top, the first card is Snoop, um, and then you draw it at instant speed with, uh, one of the few effects that lets you do that, then you can, um, you can put it into play for free off the, um, off the Kodama trigger for recruiter, um, and then that makes your whole combo line a lot cheaper, you don't have to play the double pay the double red for for snoop um and then also uh, particularly the you know kiki and then playing just uh, a random sort of kiki bottom uh works very well with with kodama as well because you effectively only have to cast one of them um and yeah so so i i wanted to play um sort of a more permanent based strategy uh, which is also why uh <laughs> like Snoop was kind of an excuse to play um, cards like Priest of Gix, which is the it's a three mana two one that when it enters you add three red mana, um, which is obviously hilarious with Kodama because it's essentially you put you cast it you get three mana back and you put a three drop into play or up to a three drop into play from your hand, um, which just lets you have some pretty crazy turns, um, and so you know Snoop needing the red and then i was like oh well i can play this um so yeah i i decided to leverage that and i also played razaketh because it actually layers surprisingly well with with snoop um and then uh the reanimate the reanimate cards specifically the enchantments also um have a lot of synergy with kodama where you cast them they enter you put something out for free you reanimate the creature you put something else out for free, um, <laughs> etc. God, Kodama is just really good. Um, <laughs> Responding to the Kodama trigger on Razaketh by sacrificing something and going and finding, say, like, Priest of Gix and then putting it out for free and then sacrificing <laughs> it to Razaketh and getting the, the free mana. Oh, baby. That's <laughs> good that's, stuff. That is sexy. 
Um, so we kind of looked at those those top end, you know, what is the overall game plan? What are we wanting to do here? Um, but, you know, Morgan kind of got into this a little bit there. Um, but we're doing some combos here and there are going to be some important lines to get there. Um, so, you know, Cobble, when we're looking at your combos and one of the, you know, and I don't think this is in our show notes, but this is something that I kind of want to touch on um, because it is something that is a little bit more obscure and not everybody might know specifically how this works is uh, the shadow of the grave and the uh, bag of holding lines that are within this list and so what is that doing how does that work and uh, just kind of explain to some of our listeners who might not be familiar uh, with that Right. So uh, Shadow Bag was kind of a, a module that I kind of put together for some, some lists back actually when uh, Flash Hulk was still legal. And um, the idea was that it was, a, it was a handful of cards that you used with Bone Miser that um, if, you, if you've ever heard of Bone Miser, it's, it's, it, it winds up being very similar to, to Gitrog. So it's, it's a three black black creature that... Four... Um, bl- it, four- it's a uh, four. Oh, I'm sorry. No, yeah, four, four and a black. That's right. Yeah. Um, but it it's a it's a creature that is is effectively a an inverse um, waste knot. So whenever you discard a card, if it's a land, you get black black. If it's a creature, you get a zombie token. And if it's anything else, then you draw a card. And uh, the idea is that you can um, with either a discard outlet like Putrid Imp or um, Oblivion Crown or uh, uh, using something like LED or just your, you know, your, your end of turn kind of sculpting. Uh, you can select if you've got a big enough hand. If you've, if you've got any, any sort of value engine that you have going that's drawing you cards or if you've got a Nas or a Necro or a Peer or a Valkit, well, not the Valkit Exploration because those are being exiled. But if you've gotten yourself into a hand that's, you know, uh, bigger than seven, then you can you can do an end of end turn sculpt and choose which cards you want to discard, and um, just like with with Gitrog, when you uh, discard some number of cards down to seven, if any of the cards that you discarded allow you to draw more cards, then you're going to have more cards than seven again, and it's going to put you in a state where. Uh, the game sees that you, again, have more than seven cards, and then we'll give you another cleanup step, and you will be able to chain those together until you find the card that you're looking for. And um, you can be holding land in your hand, for instance, to be able to cast things at instant speed by discarding those lands and creating mana. So it allows you to kind of very uh, strategically and very precisely uh, kind of mill through your, your, your deck until you find a certain thing and then be able to cast it um, all on your end step just by having you know some some number of cards more than seven so um, in in the in this particular list the use of of of, of this apparatus is is just um, trying to to you know use every way that we have for creating large large draw situations so we're we're doing Necropotence and we're doing Adnaz and Pyrantheobis, you know, and the, the types of things that you would normally expect to, to, to draw you lots of cards. And um, because we're not, that uh, this isn't Corvold, um, where we're getting card advantage, you know, just straight out of our, 
out of our command zone, we we need to add some extra things to make sure that we can draw cards. We're never going to have any trouble with mana because of because of Kadama. Um, if we can get Kadama onto the battlefield, then you know he produces so much value, and I, I think it probably makes sense to to, to talk a, a little bit about you know what makes Kadama so explosive. So um, on, the, on the one hand, because you can put lands into play basically off of any permanent, um, the, the value of cards that are giving you lots of cards in hand goes, goes way up. So for instance, if, you, if you've got a Necropotence and let's say you do a Necro for 30 and you've got Kadama in play and um, you, you have some way of, of casting spells uh, with with flash, or you know maybe you do a crop rotation and you put emergent zone onto the battlefield, and then now you can start casting spells, you know, like you're in a main phase during your end step. You're you're generally going to have a bunch of lands in your hand, and a lot of times what you can do is uh, you cast a dork that's going to trigger Kadama, put a land onto the battlefield, and then those lands come into play untapped, so you can tap them and get and get value out of them and uh, what you wind up doing is then you have value engines that you combine those things with like Valakut Exploration or Cloudstone Curio um, to be able to either you know draw more cards off of those lands or return lands back to your hand then put lands back onto the battlefield again and uh, it, it snowballs very quickly with the just the amount of mana that you're able to generate um, another aspect that, that Kadama also gives you is that uh, it's something I, I, I kind of call it combo hiding because you can take something that is maybe innocuous looking, like maybe you cast Vile Smasher and you've got Necropotence in hand or Cloudstone Curio in hand. Um, people might not try to interact with Vile Smasher and let that resolve. And then when Vile Smasher enters the battlefield, you can put anything you want onto the battlefield and... It's a, it's a trigger, so there's no way for people to interact with it on the stack, and most of the time it's going to come onto the battlefield. So you can do some, some, some really tricky things to kind of uh, sneak board state um, very emergently without people being prepared for it. Uh, fetch lands become really, really good, too, because yeah. um, they, you know, let's say that you, you play your land for turn and you've got let's say you have three fetch lands in your hand. So you, know, you, you play a land for turn, Kadama sees that land, so then you put another, you're allowed to put another land onto the battlefield, so you put that fetch land onto the battlefield. Then you can crack that, which then puts another land onto the battlefield, Kadama sees that, and you can put the, another fetch land onto the battlefield, and you can kind of arbitrarily string them along as, as long as you, you know, have more things in your hand that you can just kind of put into play. So it's extremely explosive, and uh, there, there's just a lot of really cool uh, lines that you can use to kind of exploit those things that, that Kadama's going to do. So back to Bone Miser, one of the things there that most people don't use if they're going to use Bone Miser is the fact that it, you know, it creates zombie tokens. And you look at that and you say, most of the time people just kind of don't care. It's like, well, I really care about the draw and I care about the mana. Um, the zombie tokens coming onto the battlefield can put lands into play from your hand. So this is just another kind of layer of value that you get to add 
if you're in a situation where you've got Kadama in play. So it's there, there's there's some really kind of clever things that you can do. And um, every time I pilot it, I kind of discover stuff that I didn't consider, like when I was putting the deck together. It's like, whoa, that that's surprising and really cool. And I think a lot of other people find that with Kadama as well. Yeah, it's very interesting. And when I every time I see somebody do something new with this card, I'm always intrigued because it's just such a... There's so many different things that you can do with it. Um, but, you know, so we've heard a little bit about what the combo lines are from Cobblepot. Um, and, you know, there's lots of things that you can do here. Um, Phoenix, you know, you're kind of on a similar game plan. Uh, not nearly as, you know, it's not the the shadow bag, but you're also doing an Adnaz. You know, I, I believe you're also playing Emergent Zone and doing some of that not end step silliness that, uh, you know, you you Jund players like to do. Yeah. Um, so so kind of walk me through what's going on with some of this stuff. Yeah. So just even at this point, highlighting differences from Cobble's list to my list, I don't actually I think I'm the only one who isn't on Necropotence, which may be incorrect, but. That's a, probably a debate for a little bit later. I, I initially um, wasn't on Necropotence, and then I was like, wait a minute, Vile Smasher's a three-drop, right? Right. And, yeah. I, and then I put Necropotence in my deck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I do actually have... Uh, so one big thing that Cobble didn't mention with Kodama is that after a Nas with Kodama out, for example, two mana mana rocks become mana neutral. And so my deck actually has more two mana mana rocks in it than normally you would see in a turbo Nas or farm deck. And then it lines up with the fact that the two mana mana rocks all line up with Grinding Station and uh, Underworld Breach. And so I'm leaning a lot heavier on the Underworld Breach than either Cobble or Spleenface are. And so a lot of those combos, then you can grinding station and then start dumping cards from your hand with a grinding station out and start generating mana without actually having to have an LED in your graveyard or crack the LED. Interesting. Man. Kodama just gives you so many weird, weird interactions. <laughs> um, it's, how does it's, Co- y- y- it's, sorry, it's really ahead. tricky when, when you're piloting it. Um, Keeping track of the triggers is really complex at first when you're first learning the deck. And it's one of those right. things where it's easy, it's easy to, un, you know, to kind of short the, the value that Kadama is giving you because maybe you missed some of the triggers. Like if you've got you know, Kadama and Lotus Cobra and Cloudstone out at the same time, um, keeping track of all the stuff that's going on is, is, <laughs> is a lot. And um, I mean... It's, it's are you really, trying really to are you trying to make MTGO crash because this is how we make <laughs> MTGO crash, <laughs> right? But once once you get used to it, and you 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 don't miss those triggers, it's it's really really cool, and you can do a, I mean just a lot of really surprising things. So, you know, spleen with yours, um, yours is you know, obviously you're playing Nas, um, but you're playing the Snoop deck so your lines and your interactions are going to be vastly different right um so so kind of walk me through what is going on here uh, and how do some of your combo lines really end up playing out you were you kind of touched on it a little bit where you're talking about getting Razaketh and then like a priest 
uh, off the ETB trigger. Uh, so, so kind of explain in a little bit more depth here uh, what some of your lines are yeah. and how, what they look like. Yeah, so I was essentially trying to balance... Um, I wanted to play combos that synergized very well with Kodama, but weren't sort of reliant on Kodama. Um, so, you know, uh, Cobble and Phoenix, they're playing some cards like that, that take advantage, for example, of like landfall things, um, where then you sort of have to be... Like, those cards, I find, don't work super well if you don't actually have Kodama in play. Uh, whereas something like a Snoop combo, uh, obviously it's it doesn't have the same like crazy synergy with Kodama, but it, it is legitimately a lot stronger when you have Kodama in play because there's a lot of really cheeky things you could do to cheat on mana costs and cheat on cards and protect things from counter spells and stuff like that. Um, but you can still just sort of execute the generic combo even without Kodama. Um, and the same is true with, with Razaketh. Uh, which is and and then obviously we're all on some degree of breach lines, um, which all of those work without uh, without Kodama. Um, mm. But yeah, I wanted my sort of you know my not generic Nas breach combos to synergize with Kodama, but not be reliant on it. And I found Snoop was sort of a good uh, midpoint on that. Mm. Um, yeah, I also you know I mentioned um, playing playing some things like the Priest of Gix and Urbrask. Um, those, I was originally testing some some uh, very strange uh, survival of the fittest uh, based lines, uh, and those were sort of part of that initially. Um, they, they don't wind up being great, but, uh, you know, you can you can still do some some reasonably clever things if you have a few creatures in hand. For example, casting one Priest... Um, and then finding the other priest and putting it in off the trigger is, is like a, a giant ritual. Um, and then uh, I w I'm playing Imperial Recruiter, which is obviously like a big thing for, for Snoop combos. Um, but also with Kodama out, it is just another copy of Dockside. Um, if, if that's what you want it to be. Right. Uh, and then my, It might be worth of, just explaining why Imperial Recruiter yeah. is so good if you do have Kodama out. Yeah, so when you have Kodama out, essentially you can uh, stack the trigger so that the Imperial Recruiter resolves first, um, So, so the, and then the Kodama trigger resolves. So as long as what you're getting uh, has a CMC of three or less, uh, Imperial Recruiter essentially just puts it directly into play rather than into your hand. So I think the only card in my deck that Imperial Recruiter can find that... Oh no, there's two. It can find Slim Gang Lieutenant... Uh, and it can find Kiki Jiki. But apart from that, if I want it to be a dockside, it's a dockside. If I want it to be, uh, if I want it to be one of my Snoop pieces, it's one of the like. If I want it to be the Snoop itself, it's it's the Snoop or the Goblin Recruiter. Um, I just got to tell you before you even go on, it's you. you I, I believe you have made Amy's new favorite deck. Like, <laughs> I, I I feel like once she listens to this. Uh, and looks at this list, she's gonna flip out. All right, well, <laughs> that's uh, it's a lot of pressure, but hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, I did good. Um, yeah, no, no reps or warranties. This is still very experimental. Um, but yeah, and then um, my uh, my breach combo line that I went with is uh, the uh, Stitcher Supplier Culling the Week. 
um, line, which I wanted to play Culling the Week anyways, because, I mean, playing Nas, playing Culling the Week is really good, and also, it, you know, just slamming a super early Kodama, and then, like, if you play turn one Dork, turn two, you can Culling the Week and play Kodama, and then, like, you're untapping on turn three and just, you know, having a party. Um, so I wanted to... I was on Culling anyways, and then the Stitcher Supplier... Um, it lets you turn top deck tutors into Entombs, because, again, we are on Razaketh. Uh, but generally, you just play it, and then you sacrifice it to, to Culling the Weak, or Diabolic Intent, or something like that. Um, and repeatedly doing that uh, fuels... Like, it's... If you cast Culling the Weak and, uh, and Stitcher Supplier off a Breach, you have to exile six cards, but you also mill six cards, and you net two black mana each time. Um, so for exiling six cards from your library, you make two black mana, which uh, wins the game pretty pretty effectively. Uh, <laughs> assuming you, you know, have at least one extra card in your graveyard. You don't have to exile right. your entire deck, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So so that was that was sort of my concession to to trying to enable uh, the breach lines. Also. <laughs> the, on the survival of the fittest note, yes, we don't have Hull Breacher in this deck, but I was playing just like regular Razakats the other day, and oh my god, in a in a deck that has both Hull Breacher and Opposition Agent, just playing survival and passing the turn is insanely <laughs> powerful. It's insanely powerful. Like, Triggered. Like, it, cast a wheel or a tutor, I dare you. Right. <laughs> like... It, even just holding up the mana essentially means your opponents can't cast wheels or tutors, um, which is which is pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, I think that's I think I've covered sort of what makes my yeah for sure my list different from from everyone else. So you know, uh, there's a lot of different win cons. Obviously, you know, um, you know we've got Snoop, we've got all these different things. Cobble, how is your game close? How is your deck closing out the game? Okay, so for for my list, I I don't run any cards that are devoted win cons, and what I mean by that is our win cons are either value pieces or, um, you know, just uh, cards that you would use use for other purposes other than 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 winning. So, uh, the the win cons that I have are Finale Devastation, Praetor's Grasp, Sun Scorched Desert, and Valakut Exploration. So the where we want to get in our game state most of the time is to get to a situation where you can combine uh, Dockside Extortionist and Cloudstone Curio. And what that's going to do is that's going to generally give us a, a situation where we've got boundless mana, presuming we've got another creature that we can bounce and uh, create a loop with the, the, the Cloudstone Curio and, and Doctite Extortionist. Um, and then what we can do from there is either feed all of the mana into a finale of devastation to, you know, give whatever number of creatures we have haste and make them infinitely large and, and swing with that. Um, Praetor's Grasp is a, is another where if we're, if we're doing a, set of breach lines then we can cast Praetor's Grasp multiple times from our graveyard and generally what I'll do is 
you know, we're, we're in Junt, but that doesn't mean that we can't cast Oracle and uh, consultation. <laughs> so especially when we have access to Dockside and we can just make mana of any color. So uh, that's an, a fine way to win as well. And um, Sunscorched Desert takes a little bit more effort to talk about. So in order to, to, to do that one, we actually need Kadama. So what will happen is when we have Kadama and Cloudstone Curio, what happens is normally people look at Cloudstone Curio as a way to bounce creatures in kind of a cyclical fashion. They've got, you know, two dorks, bounce, you know, cast a dork, bring another dork back to hand and go back and forth between the two of them. Um, Cloudstone Curio triggers on all non-artifact permanent types, including lands. So if you've got Kadama in play and you have a dork in hand and a land in hand and you have a dork in play and a land in play, you can cast the dork, have it enter the battlefield, now there's two triggers. There's a Kadama trigger that sees the dork enter, and there's the Cloudstone Curio that sees the dork come into play as well. So what you can do is you say, Kadama will let me put a land onto the battlefield, which is going to trigger Cloudstone as well. Um, and then the Cloudstone will bounce another dork to your hand. And then you let the Cloudstone bounce another land to your hand as well. And now you're back to where you started with a dork in hand and a land in hand. So you can keep on doing that. If one of the dorks you have isn't a dork, but is a Dockside Extortionist, or if you've got a Lotus Cobra in play, or if you have Earthcraft, or um, if one of the lands is Gaia's Cradle, um, you know, or <laughs> there, there's, there, there's a ton of different ways that you can go mana positive with it. And basically what will happen is you only need, you know, uh, the, the lands that you're bouncing back and forth don't really matter. Um, once, you once you draw into Sunscorched Desert, that's a land that will just ping an opponent whenever it comes into play. Um, you just incorporate that into the cycle and kill, your, kill all your opponents with a land entering the battlefield. Um, Valakit Exploration is, is kind of similar to that. That one also is going to require Kadama. And... Um, that one also requires Cloudstone Curio to, to be able to uh, be de deterministic. So you're going to do the same kind of loop where you've got, you know, dork, dork, land, land. And um, Valakut Exploration will then allow you to just draw an arbitrary number of cards because you're going to have an arbitrary number of um, lands entering the battlefield. So you draw your deck... Or, you know, you draw your deck into exile and then pass turn and then Valakid Exploration is just going to hit all of your opponents for 70. So um, th those are, those are the, the ways that, that my particular list will, will finish a game. Uh, but the way that it gets into those scenarios we'll talk about in a minute. Yeah. Phoenix, um, you know, you are also playing Valakid Exploration. What are you doing to win the game? Yeah, so pretty much exactly what Cole said. All of those are the exact same as my deck, except for I'm not playing the Desert. And then I am actually playing Grinding Station. So to get into Grinding Station, specifically with Underworld Breach, it's pretty easy to assemble something along the lines of, say, Grinding Station, and then you play the LED. Playing the LED exiles three cards. You sacrifice the LED with Grinding Station to mill three cards, and then the LED is back in the graveyard. Repeat until you have no library or find the card that you're looking for. The card that you're looking for is usually Dockside Extortionist, 
once you get the Dockside Extortionist, you can start milling your entire deck with Breach Out. And so you can play any card that you're milling at that point. And other than that, the combos are all exactly like Cobble just went through. And so I don't really have too much to add there other than the uh, grinding station itself. Yeah. Um, Spleen, so, you know, uh, you've got the Kiki-Jiki combo, you know, with uh, Zealous Conscripts and Kiki-Jiki. Um, but, you know, there's also some other things in here that are a little bit different. What is what is your deck doing specifically? Um, so to, to kill people, we're either doing um, a Kiki Snoop line... Uh, that will kill eventually with Sling Gang Lieutenant sacrificing an infinite number of uh, conspicuous snoops. And people have asked in the past, why is it that you play Sling Gang Lieutenant when Mog Fanatic um, is more versatile because it can target anything and it is one mana and not four? The answer to that is that you can't... Uh, if you draw Mog Fanatic, there's no recovery for that. Um you like you can't play it and then use it as a win whereas the sling gang you can just cast um and also it does have some synergies with uh kodama as well because it's a four drop that also makes two tokens so you could put out like two lands and a four drop or a three drop off of it um and then yeah uh, attacking people with infinite conscripts uh, there's also a Mayhem Devil, which turns even most non-infinite Dockside lines into something approaching a win condition. Um, if you have a Dockside making, say, four treasures and you're, um, like, you're, you know, milling yourself or whatever and using um, Underworld Breach, you can reanimate it enough times to usually kill either everyone or at least most people. Um, and then there's a, f a few other ways you can, you can set up, uh, very large numbers of Mayhem Devil tr triggers that aren't necessarily infinite. Um, although there are a few ways to go infinite because, uh, we have Curio Dockside, um, and then also Curio Eternal Witness, uh, which does let us recur every card in our deck as much as we want. Uh, and then obviously, uh, as the others mentioned, we have the, uh, the Praetor's Grasp, so we can take, like, a Thassa's Oracle or something like that if, if we're feeling boring. Right. What and, the other things finale. you got? And you've got Pyrite Spellbomb in there as well. What is what does that do for you? So that's actually... I mean, you can use it um, as a win con. You could use any damaging spell as a win con uh, with the um, Curio Eternal Witness lines. Uh, the reason we're playing Pyrite Spellbomb is, as I mentioned earlier, it provides a source of instant speed draw, um, which which helps the... It, it, if you have instant speed draw, it turns your um, Goblin Recruiter into one red-red win the game if you have, um, if you have Kodama out. Um, mm -hmm. But also, um, I don't like Cull Breacher or Opposition Agent. So, so it's, it's it's largely there to to kill those. Like some people have have um, used Seal of Fire in in other decks. Um, so this is basically the same thing as playing a Seal of Fire, except it's easier to cast. Um, it is more mana to play and use because you do need mana to use it. Uh, but it's easy it's easier to cast. Uh, it you know you can often put the land out to use it when you cast it off a Kadama trigger. 
and then also you can use it to draw a card at instant speed, which has a few different uses in this deck. Uh, unlike something like Seal of Fire, which you can't. Interesting. Um, it really is interesting. I really, really like these lists. They're really cool. Um, you know, so we've kind of explained some of the different combos, uh, some of the different interactions, how you're getting through all of this. What are some of the key cards uh, that really, you know, uh, set these things apart. Obviously, everybody's playing Adnaz. Uh, I believe everybody except Phoenix is uh, playing Necropotence. Um, oh, are that, you all playing? Hey, sp hey, Spleen, I'm, are are you I'm playing Pure the Abyss? Uh, no, and you know what? I'm also <laughs> not playing Behold the Beyond. <laughs> <laughs> Though actually, so, Kodama and yeah. Behold the Beyond might. <laughs> but so you know. Uh, outside of Morgan, you know, there's there, everybody's pretty much on peer into the abyss. Um, and, you know, Phoenix is out there being a weirdo, not playing Necropotence. Uh, but, uh, Cobble, what are some of the key cards in the list that really kind of make things go for you? So, uh, you know, beyond the obvious, you know, the Adnos kind of effects, um, things that are, that are, are value pieces in and of themselves that are also value pieces that are like accentuated when when kadama comes into play are are the things that come to my mind here so those would be cloudstone curio valakut exploration and lotus cobra so lotus cobra on itself when you you play a fetch land i mean you don't have to have kadama for lotus cobra to to generate a, a whole lot of mana um so you know you have a fetch land come into play lotus cobra trigger and then crack the fetch land to go put another land into play, trigger, and then, you know, tap the land that's three mana that you have just from, from, from one land. Uh, there, there's a lot of uh, scenarios where you can, um, you know, just have, you know, a, a turn one or turn two Lotus Cobra that winds up giving you a, a whole lot more acceleration than I think that people would expect on its face. And when you, when you have Lotus Cobra either with Kadama and you can string your fetches together or you have Lotus Cobra and you combine it with Cloudstone Curio to bounce lands back to your hand, um, you you can get into, you know, some really powerful kind of loops that uh, let you do some, some, some pretty wild stuff. Valakid Exploration is one of those things that when it was spoiled, I, you know, so, okay, that's, that's kind of cool. Um, it's it's real good with Kadama, just because of the fact that you can have sort of an you know an unbounded amount of, of land drops, but uh, even just having an early Valakut exploration, you know, before you've found your Nas or whatever, uh, just getting an extra you know two or you know three sometimes uh, draws quote unquote you know per, per per turn is I mean it's really good. I mean you 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 can compare that to Timna, or you compare that to Kraum or whatever, you know, who are also getting you two or three extra draws per per orbit. Um, it's it's a really good rate, and uh, I've been really really happy every time I've seen it. And I, I think we've we've talked a whole lot about Cloudstone Curio, where it's you know it's a combo piece and it's a value engine. Um, you know, if you can find a Dockside and find a, a Cloudstone, then you know you're you're never in a bad place. Um, 
my particular list also, you know, I would be remiss to say that Bone Miser wasn't uh, something that, I, and I know that that's kind of a contentious thing because not everybody is, is into that card, but um, I, it's, whenever it's in play, um, where I'm, I'm always happy to, to see it just because this particular list, whether it is Nas kind of effects where you're, you're giving yourself a huge grip that you're then going to discard naturally at the end of your turn or, uh, you know, the, the wheel effects that we have access to and then being able to capitalize on those with, with underworld breach, it just, it fits really well into the plan. And, um, I've been, I'm, I'm very happy with the way that it's situated in this particular list. Yeah, it's a, it's a really cool card. And I've, I've gotten to play some of your shadow bag lists over the, you know, past year or so. And, uh, I've been very impressed by that technology and specifically how Bone Miser works. Uh, I, I would not, I would encourage everyone to not, uh, second guess that card. It is a very good card. Um, Phoenix, when it comes to you, I know we got a lot of overlap here, uh, but you know, your, you know, your kind of key cards, what are they going to be for you? Yeah. So I get to go second. So Cobble just does all the talking for me. So I get to (laughs) just skim over mine. Uh, so other than the three key cards that we have on our list here that I have for overlap with Lotus Cobra, Valakut, and the Cloudstone Curio. I do have Underworld Breach on mine, especially because I'm leaning a lot more into the farm style, replaying a bunch of creatures a lot of times. Um, And just Underworld Breach kind of speaks for itself when it comes to everything that it does. Uh, The nice thing with Kodama is that my deck also has a bunch of kind of slightly hidden combos in it, where if you have certain combinations of cards, there are lines that are not very apparent with stuff like... Uh, Phyrexian Tower or Eldritch Evolution where you can use those as sack outlets to when you're in the scenario like Splinterface was talking about where you're replaying every card in your deck you can put the creatures out get them in the graveyard put them back out etc get them from your hand if you don't have if you have Kodama out and sort of keep those loops going yeah that's it's very Kodama just opens up so many interesting interactions. I know I keep saying that, but it's like every time I keep thinking about a new thing that you could do or something else that you can do with it, I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess you can do that. Um, Spleen, what is it that? What are the the key cards uh, for your list? Um, so obviously the you know the shared cards, uh, Underworld Breach, Dockside, Cloudstone, Curio. Um, but then I guess the the biggest ones that I don't share with Phoenix and Cobblepot would be Kikijiki, which is sort of uh, the card that enables both the Snoop lines and just the standard uh, Kiki Conscripts line, uh, and then Razaketh, uh, which just, I mean, you know, Razaketh decks have existed for a very long time, and they've usually, you know, depending on the exact iteration, they've had slightly different requirements, but it's usually something like, you know, a mana and two creatures and a dozen and, and 12 ish life. Uh, and you win the game off Razaketh. Uh, and this one's pretty similar to that. Um, you know, the lines might vary. You can. There are definitely some zero mana lines. They might require a few more creatures. And there are low creature lines that re- might require a bit more mana. But, um, you know, the general idea is ha- hasn't changed much since the, uh, 
since people started messing around with uh, with that card. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty consistent. Um, now everybody's got some spicy tech, um, some different things that everybody's playing on, and we you know, we have talked about the differences and those sort of things. Um, you know, Cobble, uh, what is the land, you know, kind of land situation? What is your tech that kind of sets yours apart outside of the shadow bag stuff? So um, I, I'm running City of Traders, and this is, I, I think, a card that you, I mean, it's it's a great land because it's, you know, you tap it for two mana. And it's 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 one that I think that, probably should see more play than it does depending on you know the the, the shells that you're putting it in yeah i, I think I that, agree with that it's 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 really good in lists that want to accelerate into higher mana commanders so like crown lists or kadama lists or you know that kind of thing um but it's also good in lists that have a you know either you know a large amount of artifact mana so that you can you know it's it's sort of like a you know a second ancient tomb and you know being able to put an arcane signet or felwar stone or something like that you know onto the battlefield turn one and then you know continue going uh, it's a it's a huge tempo increase uh, people are generally afraid of it because of of the sack clause but um, we're we can mitigate that here because the the city trade city of traders trigger in this case is is on playing a land which is a specific game action it's not on lands entering the battlefield so you can if you've got city of traders and you've got kadama in play and you want to play a land but you don't want to lose your city of traders you can you know play a dork and trigger kadama and let the land go into the battlefield off of the, the trigger um then City of Traders will stay in play. So it's one of those ways that you can kind of, you know, get around that and, uh, you know, get the advantage and not have any of the the, the drawbacks that are there. Um, mm-hmm. Another tech piece that, it, I mean, it's not really a tech piece for, you know, like at, you know, Turbo Nas Storm, you see this all the time, Reign of Filth. Uh, in this particular case, I've went, when you... When your engine is is running, and you've got a Kadama in play, and you've you know resolved some sort of a big draw spell, and you've got a big hand, I run into I very routinely run into situations where I'll have fetches that don't have anything left to go and get, just <laughs> because you know um, you know you you play a land, put another land onto the battlefield, crack one of your fetches, put a land onto the battlefield, put another land right. onto the battlefield, and you know playing permanence playing rocks you know you you play an led put a land onto the battlefield um you get into these situations where your fetches don't have anything to get and uh the value of reign of filth i mean first of all it goes up higher just because oh you know i'm on i'm on turn two and i have 16 lands in play um that that can happen and um being able to make use of 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 those lands even when they're you know quote unquote dead or whatever um is is, is really good i'm also running urborg tomb of yogmoth for the same reason so that the fetches can be swamps in the worst case and uh that kind of 
compensates for those situations. I mean, that's a terrible place to be where you've got so many lands in play that, you know, you can't fetch any more out of your, your, your deck. Um, you're, you're not hurting when you're there, but still being able to make use of those resources is important. So mm -hmm. we're taking right. considerations to do that. Yeah, and this was kind of an interesting, you know, thing we were talking about before the show is this, the city of traders and uh, all those things. And I, I, I think it is important to note those city of traders triggers as any of our listeners who play any amount of legacy would understand um, kind of how that works out, right? Right. Um, and why that's really good. Mm -hmm. um, I, I agree. Um, and I would be remiss if I did not take a opportunity within an episode to bring up that we do play City of Traders in Lavinia. Um. <laughs> oh my goodness. One, Wait, one, one episode. One episode Wait, where you don't why? talk about Lavinia. <laughs> no, actually, I think we have to talk about this. Why? <laughs> Your commander's because two mana. It's it's for the knowledge pool. Yeah, it's because our six mana. Yeah, it's because a lot of our big pieces cost a lot of mana. So but, it it works out. So you're just gonna play City of Traders as like your fifth or sixth land? I don't get it. Hmm. I straight I mean, up don't get it. <laughs> it's basically ancient tomb number two. Um but regardless But like really not. <laughs> you know what? It's been good enough, so um, it also I mean, plays Armageddon, so yeah. yeah, we do play Armageddon too. So like, whatever. Um, but anyway, not to get us off track. I apologize. Um, <laughs> you started this ba back on the CDA. I, I right. did. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Phoenix, you're playing a couple different cards uh, here. That's kind of some of your uh, specific technology that you're running. Um, why do I keep saying technology? Tech um, is you know. What are what are your couple of kind of spicy includes? Yeah, I'll deviate from my show notes a little bit here and include a couple of my specific includes. So the first one that I have here is Jiraga Tree Speaker. So specifically with the way that my deck is made, it's playing a lot more of the two mana rocks. And so the way the Jiraga Tree Speaker works, if you don't know, it has a level up for one and a green. It's a one mana creature that has a level up for one and a green. And then once it levels up once, it can tap for two green. So it's a one mana mana dork that can tap for two mana on turn two. And so it's a little bit awkward in a lot of decks when you're trying to play turn one mana dork, turn two, a three drop. But in my case, since I'm playing so many two drops, it lets me play a one mana mana dork that taps for two and get me farther ahead on turn three rather than farther ahead on turn two. Yeah, I feel like it's more like um, a one-mana mana dork that can tap for two on turn three. Exactly, yeah. And so, like, if you're in a deck where you're trying to play a three-drop on turn two, like, say, Najila, it's something that you wouldn't even look at. But since my deck has, I think I'm playing three, four extra two-drop cards that I can pay for two colorless, um, it actually ends up being really good because it lets me play an extra card on turn two that I probably still would have played anyway and then maybe had one mana floating, maybe two mana floating. Wait, you mean you're um, not trying to turbo Vile Smasher every game? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just for value. And so that's really how that came in there. Um, another one that I have is Keen Sense. And so honestly, after listening to some arguments, I probably should be playing uh, Mayhem Devil. Because that would be a pretty spicy combination with Keen Sense in this deck. But uh, so Keen Sense goes on the Vile Smasher, and it's a very decent 
I'm out of gas, plan B, sit here and draw a couple cards as the turn cycle goes around. Uh, the next important card would be a braid. So this deck definitely has, since I'm leaning so heavy into Underworld Breach, I definitely want something that answers both a Null Rod and a Collector Oof. And so a braid hits both of those. It also hits, like Spleen was saying earlier, it hits the whole Reacher, it hits the Opposition Agent. And then my final spicy card is Final Fortune. And so just because I'm playing so many two-mana Mana Rocks, I'm not quite as likely to get a Mana Positive Adnaz. And so after I get an Adnaz off, I might be able to cast the Final Fortune after dumping a bunch of Mana Neutral or Mana Negative Rocks and then take my next turn with a bunch of Mana and utilize all the cards I drew with my Nas. I also noticed you're on 30 lands. Was that like a particularly deliberate thing or was it just so i did actually include prismatic vista as an extra fetch because when gold fishing i found exactly what cobble was talking about with both missing fetches and then also with fetch chains where you can chain fetches together so having just an extra fetch was worth it in my opinion and then also i do have gemstone caverns for a little bit extra early ramp Although we can maybe make an argument about it not being necessary. Uh, you know, Spleen, yours is probably the most unique uh, as opposed to, you know... Um, it, it's very interesting, I, I gotta say, to be uh, in, a, in an environment and in a deck-building sort of situation where, um, you know, Cobblepot does not have the most unique <laughs> deck that we're working on. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh -huh. I, get I, it. I love Cobble's list. Um, Cobble's, I would say, is more obscure, but like as far as like the three of these go, like Cobble's and Phoenix's really kind of feel very similar. Um, even though they're they got different angles, they're kind of hitting the same beats at. And yours is just you know it almost feels like a different archetype. Do we do we want to um, get straight into the deck you know, list? So, so, yeah, I mean, we'll 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 get there here. I those will be here in the uh, in the descriptions. But Spleen, what is some of your you know kind of individual, you know, sort of uh, tech pieces that really set yours apart? Well, so I think I've actually I wound up covering most of it uh, earlier. You know, in mentions in a few different places. Um, I think that like sort of my my tech pieces that are interesting would be uh, the priests, as already mentioned. Um, the the survival of the fittest, uh, and then the the pyrite spell bomb. But also, uh, I do want to give sort of a passing mention to the reanimate effects because, like, typically people see you know you you see animate dead and you go like, oh, you're gonna reanimate like Razaketh, or you're gonna reanimate you know even something smaller like maybe it's just a consecrated sphinx or bigger you know maybe it's a djinn. but um. Particularly with uh, Dockside and Breach, um, especially the cheaper reanimates, uh, like Literal Reanimate and then Unearth, and, and even the two-mana enchantment ones, um, they can let you, if you have a way to, to get your Dockside Extortionist killed off, you can replay it and then get even more mana. Uh, they also let you do the Eternal Witness Chains uh, with Razaketh or Dockside Chains with Razaketh. Um, and they just have a decent amount of utility. You can also, um, you can't unearth, but you can animate dead and reanimate 
uh, other people's uh, Doxides or Thassa's Oracles or uh, anything anything like that. Uh, or even uh, Opposition Agent, Hull Breacher, you know, smaller things that maybe got killed or countered. Um, so they definitely provide a decent amount of utility. Uh, and you can often use them for value, even though they seem sort of like dedicated quote-unquote combo pieces. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of getting into the deck lists here, um, you know, just kind of as we're getting towards the end of all these things, you know, Cobblepot, uh, just kind of take us through your deck list here real quick and um, kind of give us a little bit of an overview of it now. Sure. So um, it's going to have a lot of things that you expect to see in a, in a Turbo Nas list. So there's going to be, you know, your... Your 16 artifacts, which are generally going to be the kind of the, the the things that you expect. Obviously, you're going to have your 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 chrome mox and your lotus petal and your mana crypt and mox diamond and soul ring and stuff like that. Uh, where we, I, I think we've got enough artifacts here for for mox opal and uh, you know running you know grim monolith and monovolts just because. We, you know, we want to be able to get to our nozzles. We want to get to our peers. We want to be able to get into Kadama range as quickly as we can. Um, so they're, we're running, you know, all, all of the acceleration. And uh, I, I, I don't think that there's, there's really anything surprising there. I've got a, a, a weirdo piece as a scroll rack. Um, you know, that's, that's one of those things that, you know, you, you, you see that in, in some Nas lists and in some people choose not to put them in there. Uh, I, I've always just been a big fan of it, it you know. Especially since since we're on the Bone Miser plan, it, it kind of gives you uh, a, a lot more specificity and being able to choose which cards you want to discard and when and that kind of thing. But Scroll Rack after a Nas um, is you know just gonna raise your Nas percentage by you know percentage points because you know it, it lets you see that much more of your deck just in case. You know, you, you didn't quite get all of the pieces that you need. And, you know, in this particular case, because we're not assembling anything that's quite as efficient and uh, slim as Thassa's Oracle and Consult, uh, we we have a little bit more work to do to put our things together post-NAWS. So something like Scroll Rack, in my experience, has, has, has done a lot of work. Uh, moving on to the Creature Suite, I've got some... The, the, the main things that I'm running that nobody else is are Allosaurus Shepherd and Vexing Shusher. And um, those are on account of wanting to be able to protect our, you know, our, our important pieces. Now, um, we, we don't have access to blue and, you know, we, we only have kind of the, the minimal red counter suite that we have through, you know, Pyroblast, Red Elemental Blast and Deflecting Swat. And... When, when we do have Kadama in play, we're, we're able to, you know, hide some of our, our combo pieces behind other things and let them, you know, kind of sneak in behind other permanents. But when we're, when we're wanting to, you know, cast something, when we're trying to cast Kadama himself, Alasaur, Shepard, and Vexing Shusher go a long way in making sure that Kadama's going to hit the table. And um, Vexing Shusher goes a long way in making sure that our Adnaz actually does resolve when we want it to. Um... I'm running Bloom Tender, and I, I feel like we're in three color, and Bloom Tender's kind of 
on point for what we want to do. I don't know if anybody else wants to talk about why they didn't run Bloom Tender. Yeah, so so I was thinking, um, I was like, yes, the deck is actually, or at least my version of the deck is is decently solidly uh, in three colors. But uh, if you look at the permanents, at least in my iteration, they for me they're hugely disproportionately green, um, and unlike something like Thrasios and Timna, where you know, you play Bloom Tender and then you play Timna and then your Bloom Tender taps for three. Um, sort of playing Vile Smasher is not particularly rewarding in my experience. So I, like, that was how I was going to make Bloom Tender into a really good dork a lot of the time was what I found. Um, That's fair. I mean, I, I, I think that... Yeah, Spleen nailed it on the head with me as well, where... I'm not really on an early Vile Smasher plan, and that's going to be my majority of the time my colors. Okay. I feel like, I don't know if we just see a disproportionate number of Deathrite Shamans and Vexing Shushers or that kind of thing, but most of the time, um, I'm, I'm pretty happy to see Bloom Tender, even, even when it's only two mana instead of three. Moving on to uh, enchantments. Like I had said before, um, yeah, I've got Oblivion Crown. That's just you know part of that the Bone Miser synergy there to be able to deterministically discard cards. Earthcraft. I'm surprised that I'm the only one who's on Earthcraft. Just given um, the the number of dorks that we're all on, and actually a number of creatures. Um, it's really really powerful. In in my my particular case, if you do have Bone Miser going then the, the zombies that are coming into play can be tapped to uh, generate mana off of the Earthcraft. And Earthcraft just with uh, Cloudstone allows you to go mana positive just with, you know, uh, dorks and a little bit of extra stuff. Does anybody t- want to talk about Earthcraft? Uh, I, I can, but Phoenix, if you want to, if you have something you want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, so my argument for not running Earthcraft, at least in mine, was most of my creatures ended up already being mana dorks. Um, It does give them a pseudo haste, but I was struggling with finding basics. And I do have the Prismatic Vista, which specifically gets basics, but I was actually running into games where I'd never had a basic. I considered running Earthcraft, at least. I think given that I have Um, Earthcraft, I I prioritize looking up basics. Um, If I... And then, you know, just if anything, just going and getting a, a, a snow covered forest a lot of times is is just because I'm expecting Earthcraft eventually to come down. Yeah, I've, I've definitely so I played I've played Earthcraft in Hullen, obviously, um, when I was playing a tainted packed mana base in Thrasios Nadir, I did actually find that it was putting uh, a pretty high amount of pressure on my mana base to try and consistently have that basic. Um, admittedly, I was trying to cast Thrasios most games, um, which which certainly like doesn't help, right? Because then you don't want to fetch, you don't want to fetch a forest on turn one to play your dork, and then play Thrasios on turn two because then you you know you're holding up green, which is not good. But um, I I had issues in the past playing earthcraft with 
attainted packed mana base. A huge amount of my creatures are already tapping for mana or are, like, it would be sort of an awkward curve. Like, if I'm playing a dork on turn one, then I'm sort of taking a turn off to play Earthcraft. Um, and then I play, say, like, Imperial Recruiter. Um, th and then, sure, it taps for mana, but I could have just played the Imperial Recruiter on turn two off the dork. Um... And my the things that I have really high requirements for in terms of colors are, like, it's usually red, uh, you know, with the Kiki and the Snoop combos. Um, the deck is looking for ways to make red very often, and fetching mountains is, is a bad time as a general <laughs> rule in three-color decks, like basic mountains. Right, um, for sure. You, you, never want, you never want to be forced to fetch a mountain. Um and, and uh, like, obviously the synergy is, is pretty insane with things like Kodama and things like... I mean, I'm not playing Bone Miser, but I, I can imagine. Um, sure. Uh, but I personally find that... I found that, like, if I was doing Kodama shenanigans, it I very rarely sort of ran out of... Like, you know, if I, if I wound up, you know, casting two creatures and putting two creatures in for free off of Kodama, for example, in a given turn, I already wasn't running out of mana. Um, That's valid. Was was just sort of what I found. So In this case... It, it felt a little bit... I mean, like, win more isn't exactly the right word, but but similar, like... Right. It was it was a little bit... It was at its best when I was already doing really well on mana. In in, in, in my case, the Earth, Earthcraft is actually... It's got a stronger synergy with Cloudstone Curio than it does with Kodama. If that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, so the next part yeah, here, ahead. you know, as you're kind of looking at the, the instance, um, you know, everybody's kind of playing these, you know, abrupt decay, Adnaz, Assassin's Trophy, you know, Noxious Revival, Reign of Filth, uh, REB. Um, everybody's playing Chain Impact, kind of the, 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 the usual suspects here um but you're also playing cabal ritual mausoleum secrets and shadow of the grave which we've kind of talked shadow of the grave web what's up with mausoleum secrets here Cobble? um so mausoleum secrets is is another kind of piece that uh I've, I've got enough um creatures in the list that most of the time uh mausoleum secrets is is going to be able to uh be able to go and get you know in 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 the worst case a you know like a specific removal if there's something that we need uh but a lot of times it'll go and find reign of filth or um right. dark ritual or cabal ritual um to be able to power out a nas most of the time um mausoleum secrets comes into play when when we're doing some of our our bone miser stuff and mm -hmm. um so what'll happen is you've got bone miser in play and you you know discard a non you know a you, you discard a card, draw a card, discard a card, draw a card, discard a card, draw a card, discard a card, draw a card. And, you know, you get to this point where you've got maybe, you know, two or three cards left in your hand and you've discarded maybe, you know, 30 cards. And then you, you're you looking for Shadow of the Grave to be able to, to go and then return all of the cards that you've discarded to your hand. Uh, Mausoleum Secrets is, is just a really good card at doing that because most of the time you've discarded a couple of creature cards and you've got 
boundless black mana at that point. So you just cast Mausoleum Secrets, go get Shadow of the Grave, cast Shadow of the Grave, put all those cards back into your hand. And it's, again, sort of like a scroll rack kind of a thing where um, you've spent two mana and then you put 30 cards into your hand. And as because you still have Bone Miser in play, then you can discard those cards and then turn them into more cards, more mana, and you know more advantage. So that's really the the purpose for Mausoleum Secrets. Right. Phoenix, you're playing Reap, which is a, a big departure from everybody else. What's up with uh, Reap in your list? Yeah, I don't know if anybody else has played Reap, but... Uh, Reap, Reap was nasty. actually in my list for up until one of the last few edits. Yeah, Reap, especially from... I've played a lot of Curious Control, so a lot of my card choices with Vile Smasher are informed from playing Curious Control. And so Reap is one of the best cards in Curious Control about just reusing cards. And it's an instant speed, maybe even better than Regrowth, uh, that lets you trigger Vile Smasher, get the cards back that you maybe want to tutor with or if you wanted to reuse. And then you can kind of loop that in with some of the other return to hand cards or maybe an Underworld. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, that makes total sense to me. I mean, it's a really good value card anyway, too, right? Like, I mean, it's just, I, I, oh, yeah. I feel like it doesn't Somebody see as much. Right coming out. Right. I feel like it doesn't see as much play as it used to, but it's still a solid card. Um, it was certainly, and... it, it's hate, it, it was at its best, um, when everyone was playing Timna and there were yeah. always Timnas in play. And then, yeah, you know, one person plays like a Confidant or a Deathrite Shaman, and then you get an instant speed double regrowth. Right. Uh, which was pretty pretty good. And you're on Intomb Spleen, and that, I'm assuming, is part of the, like, Razaketh and some of that lines. Well, yes, you see, because okay. in order to return Razaketh from your graveyard to play, <laughs> he has to be in your graveyard. <laughs> so, uh, oh but goodness. it also, I mean... You mean you don't hard cast it and then reanimate it when somebody kills it yeah exactly okay. that's that's the real big baller brand way if of there is any that. deck that could hard cast Razaka, well no because we can't play smothering one. tithe that's what smothering tithe does in Razakats. it's like oh no i have a tutor and a fatty and there's no way for my tutor to like discard the fatty and also get a reanimate well i guess i'll just get smothering tithe and then slam the fatty next turn right but uh <laughs> anyways asides about cats aside um yeah obviously you're usually entombing Razaketh or potentially like conscripts or kiki um right. to enable that combo um but you can also occasionally entomb like a breach combo piece uh, okay it's it's extra cards but less mana than demonic tutor when you're doing breach combos because you have to cast whatever you get out of your graveyard uh which means you have to pay the escape cost, but it is one mana. Um, so yeah, it's it's there for, for reasonably obvious reasons. Um, right. And I also stealthily edited out the lightning bolt that I was playing until <laughs> 10 minutes ago. Um, <laughs> Those are my Looking at instance. the... I, 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 I still stand by that the, the, the best time to be able to play lightning bolt in CDH was when Paradox Engine was legal, and you could... Um, imprint lightning bolt Isocrine into Scepter. a um yeah under an ice scron scepter and then just deal infinite damage those were the days 
but um you know cobble uh moving on over to the sorcery suites uh we're looking at you know everybody's playing uh demonic tutor diabolic intent finale of devastation gamble imp seal jessica's will praetor's grasp wheel of fortune and believe it or not uh cobble doesn't have any like cards that nobody else is really playing. right i'm surprised um, as you are <laughs> yeah um but phoenix is playing two cards that really kind of uh deviate a little bit away from everybody else uh you're playing eldritch evolution and yogg's will and so what is kind of your uh considerations with going into those yeah so yogg's will uh is kind of a consideration with the fact that i am playing grinding station Right. So I don't know if anybody's ever milled their entire graveyard with Grinding Station, but it's not too hard when you play Dockside Extortionist, something along those lines. Uh, and so if you have a Yogg Will in hand, it'll double as a second Breach. Uh, not quite as good as Breach with comboing, but it's just kind of... This is definitely a deck that could value Yogg's Will and take advantage of it. Um, right. And then I'll kind of let Spleen maybe talk about Eldritch Evolution and why that isn't in your deck at the moment. But It's not in my uh, deck because I'm dumb. Uh-oh. <laughs> but it's just uh, doubles as a creature tutor. It doubles as a sacrifice outlet and lets me replay cards with Breach. Um, it's just overall very good cards. I would normally be on Eldritch and... Evolution for what it's worth, but um, in my t- particular list, um, all of my creatures are either one or two cmc with the exception of bone miser so um but you can turn your i can turn your vile smasher into a bone yeah miser. but i have to cast my vile smasher and um yes that is fair but so it was considered but i chose not to and just wanted to go more for the turbo nos instead yeah, it's, it's then, not in my list because I was busy and so I didn't have a lot of time. And then I saw it, I was like, oh, yeah, that that's something that should have gone in. Especially because I can turn, I mean, I can turn Vile into either half of the Kiki combo um, or I can turn Kodama into Razaketh. Um, so that shouldn't only be in Phoenix's list, but no. It's a, that's a fine. I, I live with. <laughs> I, live with I totally game. space on Mayhem Devil, so... <laughs> Um, yeah, my two, I mean, my two uh, unique sorceries, which, again, will probably not surprise anyone, are uh, Life Death and Unearth. Uh, I'm actually, I'm a little bit surprised that uh, no one else was on Unearth, especially with, you know, like the, the Dockside shenanigans um, and even, you know, things like Tinder Wall and just getting things back to get Kodama triggers and stuff like that. Um, Eternal Witness, etc. Mm-hmm. Um but life death is is obviously just a Razaketh piece. Um, it's it's a reanimate. It's not a super well costed reanimate, which is why you don't see it uh, outside of dedicated reanimator decks. And then um, the life half of it um, forms the basis of your low creature Razaketh combos because you, if you have like one mana and a creature, you sacrifice the creature, you get life death, you cast life, you turn all your lands into creatures, and then that gets you like you know three or four tutors off of Razaketh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, and we also, one thing that I do think is kind of interesting to talk about, we talked about Cobblepot's mana base because it was a little bit of a departure overall. Um, but one thing that I do think is interesting as we're looking here is, you know, uh, Phoenix, you're playing Phyrexian Tower. Uh, you, you are playing Gemstone Caverns, and I do want you to touch on that because you are the only one playing Gemstone Caverns. 
Yeah, so Gemstone Caverns, if you're not going first, lets you get an extra... It's another Mox Hubble. And really in this deck, I found that trying to accelerate as fast as possible is definitely the game plan, and so that's why I decided to be on Gemstone Caverns. It is card disadvantage, but it is speed. And this deck does have a couple ways to refill with Wheel of Misfortune, Wheel of Fortune, at least in mine. Um, and so that card disadvantage is not quite as pronounced. And then, Spleen, one thing that I thought was really interesting with yours, um, because everybody's playing a Tainted Pact mana base, but you are playing three extra basics. So you're playing, you know, the full three, well, no, excuse me, only two snow-covered, a forest, and a swamp. Uh, but you're also playing a basic forest, a mountain, and a swamp. So what was the kind of thought process going into that? Um... The thought process going to that was that I was originally trying to include... Um, I was looking at Earthcraft in the first draft of the list, and also um, potentially either Blood Moon or Magus, or potentially both. Um, those eventually wound up being cut, and I would probably optimize this mana base a little bit farther. Um, mm -hmm. Phyrexian Tower is definitely an appealing option. Um I'm I'm not sure about it just because um, it can be a little awkward to sacrifice your creatures in Razaketh decks, um, but you're not always playing Razaketh, so it should probably be in there. Um, and then yeah, I could play you know a Forbidden or sorry not a Forbidden Orchard like a Undergrowth Stadium or a Luxury Suite was one that you know I had in and took out, but um, I think if I wasn't going to put in moons or earthcraft i would swap this mana base to be a little less basic heavy right i would probably no, I try mean, to get phyrexian to tower in mine as well just because the the creatures that i have are largely expendable i mean i'll be but i'll be honest i think it's really interesting because as i'm looking at these lists i'm looking at these compared to each other it's very interesting to me that cobble is not the one especially with you being on earthcraft uh, playing those extra regular basics to kind of help even that out um, where, you know, and I, and I know you said you did have to re, um, you, you probably need to readjust the mana base on this um, spleen, but it, it's very interesting to me to see that kind of distinction where, you know, you're on three snow covered swamps, uh, but not cover, you know, including any regular basics. Right. And again, that's just, um, I know that I've got, Earthcraft in there, so I'm right. going to, and you know, a lot of times intentionally just go and find a snow-covered forest at some point in there, and well, and and so explain this to me a little bit more because I'm 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 a very heavy Earth Earthcraft denier. I don't I don't like that card very much. Sure, and you know, is this not a card that if you're going to be playing it, you kind of want to be playing a lot of basics regardless, right? Like it, it again it is very interesting to me because it feels like. Of all the decks at the table, you would be the one that wants Prismatic Vista more than, you know, Phoenix does. And and this is, uh, please don't take this as me, like, attacking you or no, anything. No, no. I'm just, you know, curious. I am, like, genuinely curious. Right. So I, I can see it. It's there. there's a balance here. Um, we want to have access to our colors. So the one of the problems that you have in a three-color-plus list when you try to run, you know, your snow covered, snow covered, snow covered, and your basic, 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 um, is you 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 wind up in in situations where you have starts where it's like 
oh, this hand is keepable, but I've got a basic mountain. Or, you know, I've, th- this hand is keepable, but I've only got, look, my land right. is a basic, and it's not going to give me the flexibility to do the things that I want. And yes, you can still get in that situation when, you know, you are just running the three basics as well. But uh, it's what I would rather do is rather than running six basics and have a higher volume of situations where I've got bad opening hands because of it, I would rather instead have three basics and run the possibility of having an earthcraft, but, you know, not immediately having a, uh, you know, a fetch to be able to, to make use of it. Um, in, in, because we there, you know, I, I could probably put prismatic Vista in there, but I think prismatic Vista is, is low value when you only have three basics. Um, right, right. So in, in this particular case, it's, it's again, it's, it's about making conscious choices about which lands that you're grabbing at what, what point in, in the game. And I, I think, you know, everybody who's played Kadama realizes just how much, uh, of a, of a source of value he confers especially with lands that um I've never been in a situation where it was like well I've got earthcraft and I'm just going to have to sit and wait um you know you 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 wind up finding your fetches very very quickly and converting those fetches and it's not it doesn't take a lot of work to 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 be intentional and say okay this fetch is going to be a forest and then now I'm going to use that for some other things. Or this fetch is going to be a swamp, um, and that that that's another thing too. You can you can also because I'm I'm running Urborg, you can have your forest also be a swamp, and you don't have to choose. So, right. Yeah, I think it's also worth noting that Cobble's land base, as it's currently constructed, uh, you have four colorless lands. Yes. Um, which means once you take out, I assume you're running nine fetches. Um, yeah. That means setting aside the fetches, uh, 20% of your lands don't tap for colored mana. So I certainly see why then saying a further 25% of your lands only tap for one color. Exactly. Like now we're looking at at 50% of our mana base almost that's only making zero or one color. And that that gets awkward pretty quickly. Right. And so Urborg Urborg helps with the colorless lands too in the case of... Yeah, yeah. But... but just like, especially with openers, right, where you don't necessarily have a clear path to getting Urborg. That's right. Um, you have you have four colorless lands. You have Guy's Cradle, which is often awkward early. Yes. Um, and then you know it's like, oh, I have to you know I have like Guy's Cradle, and I have to fetch a forest to to play my creature, and so I, I see why you wanted to. You didn't go up to like five or six uh, basics for sure. Exactly. Right. No, I mean that makes sense, and this is this is going to be very interesting because especially as we get uh, closer to call time, we've got some specific content coming out for you guys. Uh, podcast episode uh, where we're going to have Cobblepot, uh, Pongo, and I sitting down, and we're going to really dive into this deck building stuff. And uh, and one of the things I'm really going to push you guys on is um, is specifically how the hell do you make a mana base? Because you know that's I I feel like as somebody when it's making a mana base is in my opinion, one of the hardest parts of creating a deck sure. um, is balancing your mana base well. Um, and that's something that, you know, I think a lot of people will be really excited to hear from you guys about. 
Um, it's so, funny. I, I don't actually think it's a hugely difficult skill. I think it's just one that's very hard to learn because it's like, right. you know, you, you, you build like an okay, the difference between an okay mana base and like a great mana base is like really marginal. And there's a lot of your, it's a very small percentage of hands where if you'd built your mana base better, you'd actually be fine. And it's hard right. to differentiate. Is it just, oh, I didn't draw the right lands? Or is it, oh, I didn't put the right lands in my deck? Right. And most right. of the time, it's probably just that you didn't draw the right lands. You know, you run three colorless lands. You draw two of them in an opener. Like, I mean, okay, it's a super unlikely event. That's probably not a huge deck building error. Um, so then you're looking at really only a very narrow slice of your games are things that you can actually use to effectively evaluate your mana base. Cause most of the time it's either fine or the small tweaks wouldn't have made a difference. Right. And you have to take into account um, things like, you know, the density of artifact mana that you have. And so like, for instance, if you're, you know, running 16 rocks, then that will forgive some amount of colorless only lands, um, being right. able to then, you know, if, if you if you have an opener that has you know a, a colorless only land, but that colorless only land will let you get a signet into play, then it'll you know you've you've got enough flexibility there to still be able to to cast the spells that you want to be able to cast, even though you know uh, on on its face it would look like you you might not have the flexibility. Yeah, and yeah, I was mentioning this even before we had this episode. Is it's harder to build lower color mana bases in cdh it's harder to build a two and three color mana base than it is to build a four and five color mana base because with all fetches and all duels it's really easy to make perfect mana very much so and just the number of rainbow lands right right well um it's very interesting i'm really excited to see these decks and we're gonna feature some of them in a gameplay and i'm sure on uh you know where we stream and with team turn three uh you will get the opportunity to at the very least see morgan pilot this wait what? um i would assume at some point <laughs> did i agree to that uh, oh no i'm assuming you're gonna want to play it at some point yeah he wants to show uh, it off right do i <laughs> okay uh You'll get to at least see cobbles at some point on our channel. I'm for sure. Squeamface, and I um, do not approve this message. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we go through all of this to talk about these decks and why they're cool and, and all of this, and you're over here like, I don't know that I'm going to play it. I'll uh, play mine. I mean, I'll I'm probably mine. not. I build a lot of decks that I don't wind up playing. That's fair. How else do you think I got to, like, 350 decks on Tapped Out? What's Tapped Out? Yeah, that's a good point. What's well, you know, it's, it's, what is this 2015 right um but uh one thing that we're going to be doing here uh speaking of these brewer choice uh, this is going to be a continuing uh type of episode with the podcast that we're going to do you know kind of frequently uh just to kind of flex the brain muscles a little bit we get work them out a little bit um but you know one thing that we're doing uh just to kind of uh put this into some people's ears uh, and into your heads as we go forward is the fact that we're going to be doing a deck list challenge here uh, coming up in the month of February and in March. Um, and what that challenge is, is uh, we're all tasked with taking an iconic deck 
uh, from magic's history. So something like, you know, uh, the thing that comes to mind immediately for me is like Jund or Burn or, you know, throw some death and taxes, you know, all these show and tell, all these different things. Um, and so we're all doing those lists and, you know, uh, how, how much, how, have you guys got to work on those a whole lot yet? I know Phoenix has been working on it a little bit. Um, but I've been working on mine a lot. I love it. Yeah. I, I'm well along with mine. It's not, it's not complete yet, but, um, it's yeah. the, the, the process of taking, you know, like a legacy list or a modern list and then casting it into a 100 card singleton format and trying to make it CADH viable. Um, it, you know, that you're, you, you can't always remain faithful exactly to what the list was about, especially, you know, when, when you're coming from format formats that wanted to play four ofs various cards. Right. So, um, there's, I, I, I think the kind of the, the creativity of each of the people, you know, using some license to take the idea and wanting to kind of like run with the spirit of the deck and uh, make the, the, the types of changes that seem like they fit with that spirit. Um, I don't know. It, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how that comes off. And uh, I'll I'll be excited to yeah. play mine for sure. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited. I've already played mine a few times. Um, it's I, I you know, and I'm I've I've been very open and very you know I've kind of been showing people this Golos prison list that I've been working on, and uh, originally started off as I was going to build Tron with like some prison el- you know some uh, Mishra's workshop elements into it, and then. Uh, it just kind of went, you know, what if I just lean all the way into the workshops side of it? And, uh, so here I am, uh, really liking this deck. It's a lot of fun. Uh, not for everybody else that has to play against it, but it's fun for me. Um, Spleen, were you playing? I had fun playing against it most of the time because most of the time it just did nothing. (laughs) Wham! (laughs) But there was that one, there was that one game, um, uh, I'm still largely just brooding that uh, you won't let me play Yorion, but you know, <laughs> you can play Yorion in your in your 99 if you want. But I want to you know, play you it can't... as a companion. Well, you know, unfortunately, it's so it doesn't appropriate function. for the deck. But no, I understand. But you know, you got to be able to fit it into what we're doing. You know, if you were trying to do you know prime time. You know, you'd have to figure out how to do the the primeval titan deck thing without prime time. You know, but I I'm really excited for this. We've got a lot of great brewers and a lot of great you know content creators lined up to you know be doing this with us, and uh, I, I it's just going to be such a blast. I'm so excited for this. Maybe and uh, maybe I can campaign uh, to have Sheldon change the rules so that your deck just has to be at least a hundred cards. I'm sure he'll be on board with that. I mean, I honestly, I'm kind of surprised it's not allowed to be more than a hundred cards. I I am too, honestly. I think that's odd, but you know, that's a whole conversation we could get into. I but, mean, you're allowed to uh, play Battle of Wits said, in your deck, even with a hundred cards. That's true. You are allowed to. Unfortunately, though, that um, it will never win you the game. Um, it's not going to win you the game. The other, the other side way. of that is, well, fair. Um, 
But uh, with that being said, again, thank you all to uh, everyone who stopped in and, you know, wanted to listen to us talk about these uh, deck lists for, you know, an hour and a half. Um, but again, uh, just a reminder, if you're watching on or listening on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. And if you're not, make sure to check out our Patreon. Well, even if you are on YouTube, uh, make sure to check out our Patreon uh, we've got a couple different tiers down there. And so what our tiers look like is we've got the Sentinel tier uh, where that's just a dollar a month. You'd go drop in there. You give us, you know, you're just trying to help us out. Um, if you want to also do that and get access to our uh, Discord server, you would be part of the Cunning Castaways, what we're calling it at this moment, uh, for $2 a month. Uh, $5 a month are the Prodigies of Vin. Vryn, uh, you guys get access to the Discord, uh, and you get your name in the credits. And the Strategist, which is our top tier, um, is you get to, uh, moving forward, you're going to kind of be able to help us form some of the series. Uh, you're going to be able to help request decks that you'd like to see um, Cobble and the crew work on uh, in Brewer's Choice episodes, and uh, kind of help uh, just those sorts of things, and you really help us out a ton, um, you know, and we'll give you those patron shout-outs in the credits and all those sorts of things as well, um, but we appreciate all of you. Um, honestly, uh, from the bottom of my heart, you know, I started this channel at the beginning of, really at the end of October, beginning of uh, November, and never in my wildest dreams uh, would it have done as well as it has in the first two to three months and just being able to be on this ride with the the people that I've gotten to meet and uh, all the you know I mean we have 18 patrons right now um, and that's just so cool to me that there are 18 people out there I know it doesn't seem like a lot to everybody but I mean to me the the fact that there's 18 people who like what we do enough to support it is so cool and uh, I just I can't tell you how much I appreciate you enough um, and appreciate everybody who's in this doing this podcast and in this with me right now. Um, so I appreciate all of you. I'm glad that you're around. Uh, thank you for listening. And uh, we're going to come back uh, next week. Uh, like I said, next week, it's going to be Cobble, Pongo and I. We're going to be talking about some deck building. Uh, so with that, thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time.